Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of the Christian Science Monitor in Washington, D.C. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. And from there, they migrate to the air, and from the air to the internet via our blog, theblog.philosophytalk.org. We're in Washington, D.C. because later on tonight we're going to present a special edition of Philosophy Talk for the Smithsonian Institution. Yeah, it was a great honor for them to invite us here. But, you know, you might wonder, why aren't we just doing a rerun since we're in Washington? We're all in Washington. That's because it's Pledge Week at KALW, and we could not miss out on the fun. And as a matter of fact, we've saved one of our most interesting topics and best guests just for this occasion. The topic is war crimes, and the guest will be David Lubin. Now, that's a meaty topic, war crimes, but John, I have to tell you, I'm a little bit kind of puzzled about the very idea of a war crime. Look, in war, you know, all's fair in love and war, you're trying to kill your enemy and demoralize him, he's trying to kill you and demoralize you, and you're trying to do that by whatever means necessary, so what, what's this idea about a war crime? Uh, can typical philo- philosophical warfare there, uh, you, you build into your question uh, things that completely bias the hope of an answer. Who says... Is it by definition or, you know, uh, 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 Plato's ideal of war, that war has to be by any means necessary? Look, war is, by and large, something that happens between states. States have all kinds of agreements about commerce, about other things. War is an unfortunate situation, but there's no reason states can't agree about limits on warfare and what counts as a crime. Uh, Yeah, you're right. I mean, so they they can say, okay, these are the things we're not going to do when we fight each other. We're going to play like good little nations, and we're not going to kill civilians, and we're not going to uh, treat prisoners of war badly. That sounds all very well and good. But, you know, in reality, if you look at the history of it, aren't these war crime laws written by the winners they say to the losers, you know, too bad you lost, and the things you did, we don't want those done anymore. And so it's kind of winner's justice, isn't well, it? I'm not so sure about that. I mean, of course, after after the war, the winners typically are in more charge than the losers. But some things, I mean, maybe it's better to start with war criminals, with the idea of a war criminal. You look at some things that happened during war, and you say, well, that's beyond the pale. All the other soldiers didn't do that, but this guy had to go out and bayonet babies or kill a whole village. And say the United States, I, I, arguably we lost the war in Vietnam, but at any rate, uh, we prosecuted for my lie before we did that. Mustard gas, I think that was an agreement between nations. Uh, they didn't particularly punish Germany for using it. They said, from now on, we don't want to do it. So, I, sure, I, okay, there's look, something to I'm that. I'm certainly not a cold-blooded killer and think anything should go. I just wondered if there really is some point of justice being served, some objective notion of justice that's served by uh, uh, war crimes legislation by saying these are beyond the pale of justice, of international justice. You know, and, and you, you raised a good point. You could look at it from the, the point of view of the victim, the person who was bayoneted, that served no purpose of the enemy except, you know, torture and brutality and killing. And if we look at it from the point of view of the victim, the question about justice looms larger. And to help us think about what happens when war criminals are brought to the bar of international justice, our roving philosophical reporter, Polly Stryker, files this report. What would you do if your father or son was taken away by armed men and disappeared? Or your mother or daughter was taken to a rape camp? If you can't get justice in your own country, you can look to courts in The Hague. We often have this idea and hope that they will find closure for what's happened to them. Eric Stover directs the Human Rights Center at UC Berkeley. What I've learned in my work, and I would just caution over and over, is 
that we should actually expunge the word closure from our uh, vocabulary when we talk about victims. One has to understand that all memories in war are local. It's that you suffered under the hands of a torturer or you watched your children killed in front of your hut. Those things are not easily closed. Justice can help in that process, but we can't say it brings closure or helps people move on. The post-Cold War world is trying to deliver justice on a global scale. The international community uh, has decided that there are certain crimes that are beyond the pale and that those, those individuals who commit those crimes should be brought before a court and given a fair trial. That has very salutary effects uh, in that you do eliminate the Charles Taylors, the Slobodan Milosevic's. You get those people out of these countries and in, in their proper places in jail. Stover's book, The Witnesses, contains interviews with victims who've testified at The Hague. People, when they come to testify, they're trying to make sense out of chaos. It's hard to believe that other human beings could commit these crimes, even though they found it difficult, even though they felt the sentencing was too low for the enormity of the crimes. It was a positive experience testifying. Not because they necessarily found closure, but because they felt that they had to go and testify on behalf of those who were lost. I asked him how the world could deliver justice to situations like Darfur. If we are going to say that there are certain crimes that when committed are crimes against all humanity, we can't just leave that as hollow rhetoric. It has to be that there also has to be action, and that action has to be sending in troops to stop the, the, the killing. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Polly Stryker. Thank you, Polly, for that fine report. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.